0: If I had told you that story of two boys playing in their grandfather's barn and finding the mud puddle, I don't think you would have gotten the picture as clearly as through that visual with no words. I wanted to show you that for a specific reason because very often we get the understanding of who God is wrong. And that gets revealed to us in the moment when you watch a video like that and all of a sudden you see the dad in a blurred image walk into the scene and I heard it. We go, "Uh uh-oh. And that's not what happened. This grandfather caught two boys being boys, you know, visiting, playing in the barn. I don't know about you, but I would be a little bit cautious about a puddle in a barn, wondering what's in that. (laughs) and grace spills out. This morning we're going to talk about grace-filled conversations. I'm going to ask you to read uh, together. We're nearing the end of this series on uh, getting clear with Jesus that has been walking we've been walking our way through the letter to the Colossian church and we come to these five verses starting with verse 2. And though All of the theology of Colossians is behind us. We've already gone through that. These are some of the most important words in the entire letter. So I'm going to ask you to read them with me. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. God, we pray that you would help us understand this challenge that comes in these five verses, but even more that you would emblazon these words on our hearts and in our minds so that they will become part of a way of life for us. Thank you for allowing us to see in increasing ways throughout this summer that Jesus plays so many roles in our lives and that Jesus is the fullness of your expression in this world. We are grateful for him. Very simply, I ask that you will help us live in concert with all that we have discovered about Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Verse 6 that we read a moment ago says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A few weeks ago I was talking with a church administrator from another church here in the greater Boston area, and I was a bit tense going into the conversation Because weather forecasts were forcing us at the last minute to make some major changes in regard to my daughter's wedding, which happened a week ago Saturday night. And the whole time we talked, this church administrator had the most cheerful and reassuring tone on the other end of the phone. Finally, I said to her, you have a delightful way of speaking. And I detect a a different accent. Do you mind if I ask you a nosy question? Where, Where are you from? What's your background? And she said, oh, I'm from North Carolina. We moved up here a few years ago, and I guess I haven't lost my accent yet. Let that sink in for a second. I'm from North Carolina, and I guess I haven't lost my accent yet. When I caught my breath, I said to her, please don't ever lose your accent. You have a natural way of putting people at ease with your voice and your words and your tone. And then I said... I wish I sounded like that. (laughs) Now, I don't mean that I wish that I was from North Carolina and that I had no traces of my Boston accent left at all, but I wish that my words, my tone, my manner was as encouraging and as reassuring, as life-giving as hers was. That's an amazing gift when somebody can do that day in and day out, just over the telephone. Have you ever encountered somebody with that kind of gift or that kind of ability? Just talking with them? You discover a voice or a way of conversing that could calm and reassure others, even in the midst of tension or storms? True confession, I'm in awe of people like that. I'm in awe of people who can control their tone and the way that they say things, even when other people are stressed out around them. That there's this reassuring ability that just flows out of them. This morning we're going to explore this concept of grace-filled conversations. This topic comes to us near the conclusion of our series on getting clear about Jesus. And this theme is very important. This theme sits on top of a mountain of clear theological propositions about the role and identity of Jesus Christ that, that we have been walking through all summer long here in Colossians. Here are just some of them. That God has rescued his people from the dominion of darkness. That God has brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son he loves. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That one alone is, just says so much. We long to see God, but when we discover Jesus, we see God. That Jesus is the firstborn, the preeminent one over all creation. That in Jesus, all things were created, and in him, all things hold together. That Jesus is supreme over everything. That all of the fullness of God the Father dwells, lives actively in Jesus. That God has made known the greatest mystery of all time, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That in Christ, we too are brought to fullness. There we discover that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is enough. We don't need some other revelation of some other being. Jesus is the fullness of God. That God has made us alive in Christ and has canceled the charge that was against us. That through the cross, Christ has triumphed over all the spiritual powers and authorities that were arrayed against him, making a public spectacle of them. Oh, I love that. That's the cross. That's the victory of the resurrection. Now, having written all of these wonderful truths, Paul now tells us something that is radically important that despite all of this truth, if we fail to master the art of grace-filled conversations, all of these things that I just recited to you will fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. In fact, if we don't master the art of grace-filled conversations, sometimes we can do more harm than good with the gospel. And that's scary. Here's the big idea this morning. If you get nothing else... This sentence, I hope, will stay with you. Grace-filled conversations are a way of life for people who are committed to missional living. Grace-filled conversations are a way of life the more and more we are caught up in the mission of Christ in this world and we know who we are and we know where he's sending us. Let me walk through with you four uh, discoveries about grace-filled conversations that rise from this paragraph of Scripture. The controlling verse, as I see it, is verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's the first discovery. Grace-filled conversations flow from the way that we pray. They flow from the way that we pray. Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul here gives us three basic instructions about prayer in verse 2. Be devoted, be watchful, Be thankful. Be devoted, be watchful, be thankful. Let's dive a little bit into these three instructions. First, he says, to be devoted to prayer. To be devoted to prayer doesn't mean that we are on our knees all day long or that we do nothing in life but pray. Rather, Christians are called to develop a lifestyle of prayer where we are continually offering whispers or short prayers or silent prayers throughout the day. In another of his letters, Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter six, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This challenge to pray in the spirit is not some kind of spooky language. He's just saying as the spirit guides you all day long in your thought life, in your whispers, keep on talking to God in those little quiet moments that you get in between everything else that's going on during the day. This is encouraging because we can all do this you don't all have the ability right now in your spiritual development to lead in public prayers. That's intimidating for some people to do. And you don't all possess the prayer stamina to be able to pray for hours at a time and be devoted to that kind of intercessory prayer or order to you know, go down deep and, and uh, lead others to a deeper place in prayer. I know that that's intimidating for, for many people here. But we all have the ability to pray short whispers throughout the day, to, to have something that's on our mind that we keep coming back to throughout the day. And if that's the only way you pray, that is absolutely fantastic, and you need to know that. Stop being intimidated by people who've learned to pray in public or people who can get on their knees for hours and do warfare with whatever's going on in the heavens. Whisper. Pray throughout the day, pray in the spirit, This is what it means to be devoted to prayer. Next, we're told to be watchful. Okay, so what are we watching for? From the context of the rest of this paragraph, I would say that Paul is telling us to watch and notice the people and the events that are happening around us. He's going to tell us to look for open doors. So be watchful for open doors in terms of spiritual openness of the people who are around you care about other people enough to watch and to notice what is going on in their lives and notice what matters to them, watch enough to recognize what God is doing in other people. Now that means we have to look beyond ourselves. We have to be more other-centered and we can train ourselves to do that over time. We start to notice and in our prayer life uh, notice, be watchful, be watchful about what God is doing and where God is beginning to move in different ways. And then comes the third of these instructions. Uh, The third one is to be thankful. Thankfulness changes the way that we communicate with God. If our prayers are only based on asking God for this or asking God for that, and we're not thanking Him, then we don't have a well-rounded, rich relationship with God and we don't have a well-rounded, rich uh, theology of prayer to God. I was talking with a friend just this morning asking questions about somebody else in her life and, and who has some questions about prayer. And, and I said, well, I'm going to talk about this a little bit this morning, but uh, one of the challenges that I constantly try to steer people toward is to get away from what we call magical thinking when it comes to prayer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Magical thinking is when we think, okay, it doesn't matter you know, where I'm at with God, if I just pray the right words with the right kind of desperation, God has to come through. That's magical thinking. That is genie-in-a-bottle God. That is not the God of the Scriptures. There's something mysterious about God. We don't understand all the ways that God works. Sometimes when we pray, God says yes, and he really does. Sometimes God says, no, that's not what I have for you. It's not what I want to do next in the world. Sometimes God says, wait, wait. That's the problem I have. I can take no, I don't like wait. I want God to answer when I want him to answer. And I think a bunch of you do too. That's where we get restless. We get impatient with God. But God is mysterious. We can't fit God into all of our formulas that we try to come up with. And there's actually something really good about God being larger than us and mysterious because we can't contain all of the understanding of God, which also means we can't understand all of his prayers And so we need to realize that sometimes God's timing is very different from the way that we want him to work in the world, and we need to submit to that because he is God and we are not, right? So he's saying, be thankful. Talk to God. Make it a relationship, not just a laundry list of requests. And all of this matters because grace-filled conversations flow from this kind of prayer life, when we're devoted to it, it's more of a constant rather than a once in every while thing. It's where we're watchful through our prayers. It's where we are thankful in our prayers. So grace-filled conversations, in part, flow from the way that we pray. Here's the second discovery. Grace-filled conversations respect the need for open doors. They respect this process. So look what Paul says here in verse three. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Remember, we're reading the the words of the uh, Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles here, Paul who wrote half the New Testament, Paul who, who saw so many people respond to his message. And yet Paul segues from this discussion of prayer to partnership in the ministry of the gospel message. And prayer is a part of that partnership. So he writes, and pray for us too. Wow. You mean that even Paul, this great apostle and evangelist, needed prayer from other Christians? Yes, exactly. Yes. Without prayer, the most important truth in this world has no chance of breaking through. God works through the prayers of his people. It is that important that there's some things God longs to do that he does not do until his people are watching and they're saying, Lord, I'd really love to see you work this way. Lord, there's a problem here. Can you shine some attention on this? Lord, please. I don't even know what to ask for, but do something. And God works through that process. We're introduced to our Particular kind of prayer here in these verses. I would call it missional prayer. Now, some of you have heard that term for a while around here. We've been moving to become more of a missional church. And what does that mean? It means that, that Jesus calls Christians to take up his mission in the world. We do not gather simply to hunker down and withdraw from a difficult world and say, isn't it great that we're all here together and let's just stay together here, right, right here. If we could just elongate this time and we'll stay in this room. No, we are people who are sent every day into the exciting mission that Jesus has for us. We are saved by grace, shaped by his spirit over time, and sent to reach the world around us with love and truth. So Paul says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Great and effective preaching is not only about words Or the voice of the person who delivers that message. Great and effective preaching is actually somewhat mysterious. We don't know exactly how and when God is going to work. Great and effective preaching has to reach through doors that open in people's lives. A few moments ago, we sang these words in the final song that we were singing in that opening worship time Here's my heart, Lord speak what is true here's my heart lord speak what is true now i don't know what goes through your mind when you sing words like that or when you hear all the people around you singing words like that but i turned around just a glimpse and it was kind of a wonderful moment because it was one of those times where the singing just overpowered everything else and there was a natural reaction for me i didn't think about it very much but i I just kind of stood there singing, and I turned my palms up as if to say, okay, God, I want my heart to be open to you too. Speak to me today. Speak what is true. I want to, I want to be in that position of receiving. So I don't know what happens to you with your hands. I, I was raised as a Baptist. We kept our hands in our pockets, or so we sat on them. We never raised them. That was <laughs> scary stuff. But what I've learned is there are all kinds of biblical descriptions of that, and when I do this, for me, that means I'm saying, okay, God, um, I'm giving you my openness and asking you to speak into that. And so Paul talks about these open doors. Open doors come when, when, keep, when people uh, care enough to partner with other ministers or ministries through prayer. I walked in this morning and there was a group of people in the, in, in the opening to our office suite and they couldn't see me. All their eyes were closed and their, their hands were grasping each other and they were praying. They were praying about this service. They were praying for me. They are praying for this particular message. That is so unbelievably important. I just stood and listened for a minute. Jesus and his closest followers were very careful about recognizing this principle of open doors. Jesus actually left some towns in Israel because it was obvious to him that his message was hitting closed doors and say there's no faith here I can't do anything here and he'd go to the next place and Paul sensed at different times that he was prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to some towns or cities the doors just were not open and so here he is coming back to that concept and saying we need to pray and and respect this open door principle as well. Whenever we push the gospel on people or spew words of judgment without earning the right to be heard or earning the right to say difficult things to people, they disregard what we say. And we disregard this principle of open doors. So Paul's telling us, be watchful as you pray and pray for open doors. That means we have to be watching and reading what's going on in someone's life. Is this the right time? where they're open to hearing about the gospel. And there are times when it's absolutely the wrong time to push with that because they need attention in a different way or you haven't built the friendship that gives you the right to enter their lives with saying, this is what I've discovered and I'd really like to lead you to this. And one of the things we need to understand more and more in this day, where there are many people who are opposed to Christians or Christianity, is to be much more careful about paying attention to these instructions that Paul gives because they are culturally sensitive instructions that are meant not to scare us off the gospel but to allow us to realize where is God working and when is this simply the wrong time? How do we pray for a better time? Try out these simple guidelines. When the door is open, tell them about Jesus. No holds barred. As sweetly as you can. You say that word with me? Sweetly sweetly. That's what the lady from North Carolina, had a sweet voice. I don't think I have a sweet voice. When you sense that the door is not open, work on building a healthy relationship. When the door is not open, that's the time to build a friendship and to go through the slow, painstaking process of of genuinely earning trust. The day will come when the door is open pray more, speak less when the door is closed. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, here's the third discovery. Grace-filled conversations flow from the way we pray. They respect the need from open doors and they result from walking in wisdom. In verse 5, Paul goes on with the next challenge. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Question Does the Bible give us specific instructions about every situation that you and I will face in life? No. No, it doesn't. There are all kinds of things that the Bible does not speak into. Walking in wisdom is knowing what to do when the Bible doesn't tell us very specifically. There are a number of things that the Bible gives us very clear instructions on, but there are other times we are expected to use wisdom and develop wisdom And we learn along the way how to respond. So we continually need to grow in wisdom, to gain wisdom. How do we do that? One way is reading the Psalms and the Proverbs. Some of you know that many years ago, I learned that Billy Graham started off every day, no matter what else he would read, and he would read five chapters of the Psalms and one chapter of the Proverbs. No matter what else was going on in his day, he would start there. And he was asked by a reporter one time, why do you do that? And he said, with all the things that I'm doing, I need more wisdom. And so I'm diving into the Bible's wisdom literature. I started doing that. When I get a new Bible, the first thing I do is I start marking it up. I go to Psalms. Psalm 1 through 5 for day 1. Psalm 6 through 10 for day 2. Yes, it gets a little tricky when you get to Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. That's one day. It means you have to load up some other of the smaller ones before and after that. But it works out kind of neatly where every 30 days you work through the Psalms. And every 31 days, you work through the Proverbs. And little by little, that wisdom starts to sink in. Studying Jesus and allow our minds to be conformed to his way of thinking allows the wisdom of Jesus to get into our heads. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God who richly supplies wisdom to us. God is in the business of supplying wisdom. We need to ask more. I need to ask a lot more. Now, Paul was no doubt aware of Uh, what we refer to as the great commandment. In Matthew 22, a number of the Pharisees and the teachers were around him, and an expert in Old Testament law asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he added, and the second greatest commandment, the second is like the first... Love your neighbor as yourself. In other places, Paul calls this the law of love. Why does Paul stress this thought of making the most of every opportunity? Let me say this very simply. We never know in advance what God is doing behind the scenes, that's why. We never know what God is doing behind the scenes in his work in this world. Pastors regularly have reactions to their own sermons. They often say, I I wish I could do that one over again. Uh, Or uh, they're dealing with a sickness. Or they, they wish they had a few more hours to work on that message. Or something happens that completely interrupted everything else in their life. And you still have to get up on Sunday morning no matter how much chaos there was during the week. And it is astounding on how many of those days when you feel like, man, this wasn't my best. I've had a lot of those Sundays. Somebody comes afterward and says, how did you know that was exactly what I needed to hear today? Or somebody comes up and says, last Sunday when you were talking, that was the day I put my my faith in Jesus. And I realized that I was trusting myself to be religious enough. And for the first time, I shifted my trust to Jesus and what he's already done for me. And you just go, really? I've been beating myself up for the last week thinking I I should have done better. My people deserve better. Christy had one of those experiences last week. I heard great reviews of what Christy did. I am so thrilled about that. She got the hardest passage in this particular letter. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but there was a juggling. We hoped when Andy came that Andy Needham would take one in the series, but he wanted to do something he'd already done. So it meant we shifted. And I sat down with Christy and said, you're not going to like this, but this is the passage that falls to you. But I had umpteen people tell me that she just rocked it. And then she said afterward, you know, it was one of those things where I felt like I wish I had done better. I said, welcome to the club, Christy. It happens a lot. But then somebody came up afterward and said, how did you know? And I said, that's God. That's why we get up and do this again and again, because there's something mysterious about preaching that is beyond the preacher, beyond the preparation, beyond all that, and I think it's where the prayers of the people connect, and God does something that absolutely humbles us. God is at work at all times, and often in ways that we cannot see It's never an excuse to give half-hearted efforts, but it is a reason to show up and give the best of what you have at the time, even when you don't feel like it. And that's true for each and every one of us in our role of of how we talk about our God, our Lord, our Savior. All right, and here's the the last discovery. Grace-filled conversations are enhanced by appetizing words. So verse six says, let your conversation Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This verse uses an illustration from the table. Seasoned with salt. Here, Paul is not using salt as a preservative. He's using salt as a taste enhancer. We regularly use salt, most of us. Some of you can't for dietary reasons. But the rest of us like salt. Use salt for one reason, to add flavor. And Paul is saying that we can use words and tones that add to the gospel. Think about that. The gospel is complete. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is But we can add to the gospel our flavor. We can season it with the right words, with the right tone, with the right attitude behind the words by making it more appetizing. In other words, the words we choose and the way that we use them really do matter. Think about my story of the church administrator with that kind voice. She added flavor to the process by the way that she spoke and with the kindness of her tone. A poor choice of words or a negative tone would have made that conversation much more difficult, would have made it more difficult. In the same way, it is possible for us to do more harm than good When we shove the gospel, when we shout the gospel, when we preach at people and not talk to people, or we preach over people and come down from on high on them, we can speak things that are eminently true, but in ways that are judgmental or harsh or lacking grace, and they hit a wall and they fall with a thud. I recently learned something about myself in a class that I was taking last month. I was asked to write about a go-to passage of Scripture that explains my approach to ministry and that explains some of my background. I thought, oh, okay. I chose the three parables that we find at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, the parables of lost things and lost people, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. There are several reasons why I go to that passage and why I try to preach on it every single year. The first is that Jesus used those parables to confront the judgmental attitudes of the Pharisees and the religious leaders during his earthly ministry so there's a shock factor that comes with them. The second is that those parables have a way of recalibrating our understanding of God the Father and my understanding of God the Father. He is the one who leads the celebration in heaven when even one person turns around, says those words of repentance, and makes his way back into the fellowship, into fellowship with God. And as I reflected, I realized that earlier in my life, I encountered too many Christians who conveyed a very negative attitude toward the world and the people around them and had a negative attitude in terms of the way that God responds to people. And that attitude makes the gospel unattractive. People end up with this fear of God that they cannot shake, this fear that God just can't wait to lower the boom on them and to land on them with judgment. They fail to see how Jesus depicts God the Father as the one who is waiting for them to come home, and it's our job to lead them home. That's why I wanted you to see that short video of the grandfather who hides the hose behind his back and has that stern look, and the boys are looking down, and they're sure they're going to get it, and then whammo, he sprays them with the grace of that hose and washes all that stuff away and enters into the celebration of his joy with them. That is our God. And there are so many people in our world that have only heard about a God of judgment and have only heard from Christians that God doesn't like them, or that God is angry at the way they've lived. And there is some truth to that, but what they need to hear more and more because they already are convinced that they've done wrong is that God is the one who is just waiting for them to turn in His direction, and He runs toward them and welcomes them and showers them with His affection and His grace and His restoring work. And it's our job to lead them home. So please, don't ever expect me to preach more fire and brimstone and less about grace. I am absolutely convinced that our world needs to hear about grace because our world has the wrong concept of God in a dominant form. And it's only grace that washes that away. I believe with all my heart that grace is central to missional living. And so Paul reminds us, make your conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. And then he adds that last thought, so that you will know how to give an answer to everybody. Paul expects that Christians will be relationally connected to other people, that we will use care of the words that we choose and how we say them. But he is also telling us to offer the best answer that you have at any given time for their questions even though you won't necessarily have the answer to every question. And then you may have to say, let me get some help and get back to you. I'm not sure right now, but I will come back to you when I find out more. And then go look for more. The manner in which we respond says a great deal about us and about our faith and about our confidence that we can trust the timing of how grace gets into people's lives. Grace-filled conversations are a way of life for people who are committed to missional living. And you and I are called to missional living. Final story. The Apostle Paul noted that prayer makes a huge difference in communicating the gospel. Kent Hughes was the pastor of the church I attended my last two years in college. And he tells a story from the life of the great missionary Hudson Taylor. He writes, there was a mission station that was particularly blessed in the China Inland Mission, far above all the others. There seemed to be no accounting for this because others were equal in devotion and in their ability. Hudson Taylor was traveling and speaking in England, and after one particular meeting, a man came up and began to ask him about that particular station that had been most productive with all the missionaries in China. And then he began to ask some very personal questions about what was going on in that station. And it turned out the longer that Taylor talked with him, he figured out that this man had been the college roommate of the missionary who was at that station many years earlier. And for all of these years, he had committed himself to praying daily for the work there. And Hudson Taylor wrote in his journals that day, now I know the answer. Everything else looked the same from the outside, prayer, Was the difference. Grace-filled conversations are a way of life for people who are committed to missional living and when we enter into that missional living we enter into the mystery of what God is doing and into the fun of seeing what God is up to. Are you up for that? That's our calling my friends. Let's pray. Father God thank you for the opportunity we have here again today to learn to confess that there's some things that we get wrong to allow you to recalibrate our understanding, and to hear the invitation to dive into your mission, Lord. Today, I want to pray for all the long-time Christians who have faith in this room. Hear us when we whisper to you this morning. I want to be on your team. I know who I am because of you. I believe what you say about me in the way that we sang this morning. Here I am, opening the doors of my heart, asking you to open doors in other people's hearts and send me with grace-filled words. In Jesus' name. Amen.